Welcome to Antitrust Code by Concurrence. Concurrence is the leading antitrust database with over 30,000 articles on competition law. Concurrence is also the largest network of antitrust experts with lawyers, economists, enforcers, and academics in 85 countries. By listening to this podcast, you will learn the fundamentals of competition law and hear about the latest antitrust news thanks to our guests, the best experts in the antitrust world. Hello and welcome and thank you so much for joining us today for this Concurrence Antitrust Podcast. Now, I'm delighted to welcome today to talk to us about mergers in digital, Alden Abbott from the Federal Trade Commission. Thank you so much for being here. First of all, tell us a bit about your work, what you're doing and and a bit about yourself and how it intersects with our subject matter and why it's important. Thank you, uh, Jennifer. Actually, I was for several years, I'm former general counsel of the Federal Trade Commission. And in that regard, I obviously interacted a lot on the staff that dealt with mergers, enforcement actions in courts and so forth as a chief advisor to the members of the commission. Now, currently, I'm at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University, directing a research program on competition policy. And that's a research center with the lawyers and economists. I organize conferences on various aspects of competition policy and anticipate having dealt with mergers in a professional career in competition law, both at the Federal Trade Commission in different roles and in private practice and in the Justice Department. I anticipate as new proposals, for example, new guidelines on mergers are released to be holding conferences. And, and writing articles on that topic. And this is a time of great interest because indeed, as, as I mentioned, the leadership of the American uh, competition agencies have announced plans to issue new merger guidelines, which makes the consideration of how they'll te- they will treat digital mergers in particular of, of great, great interest. Well, let me first start by, by zooming in on the uh, the digital part of our discussion. What is it that makes the digital sector different from other sectors? Can you pinpoint anything that you've seen as an emerging merger antitrust concern or competition concern that is very unique to this area? Well, the, well, the general concern about so-called digital mergers generally involves platforms which have a great on, major online preference or presence, obviously one thinks of, of Google, Amazon through its sales, Facebook, Twitter, but also companies that, you know, so-called closed gardens such as Apple, which have their own app stores, which interact with the internet through that. And the concern in, in that case is you have these large, very large platforms. And the, the theory is that these platforms may, by buying up complementary assets, by that I mean companies not ex- where they are not currently doing business. For example, proposals by Meta, formerly Facebook, to acquire within, a, which makes a variety virtual reality products. The concern is that these firms will use complementary assets, things that their online users are interested in using to entrench their dominance, to gain extra monopoly power, and the argument is this is different because in conventional mergers, say in product markets, you're concerned about people selling the same or products or close close substitutes or in vertical mergers, 
firms that can go upstream or downstream to deny input to competitors. Here, the concern is more vague and inchoate and saying, this is a huge firm. Uh, any merger it makes of uh, a company that ha- provides some online services could, in effect, later be used to entrench its power. That's the whole theory relates back to the Microsoft case of the of late 1990s in the United States, uh, in which it was argued that uh, that Microsoft was uh, uh, trying to uh, kill um, uh, a com- competing browser uh, in order to maintain its monopoly in uh, on uh, in Windows operating system for desk desktop uh, uh, services. There, the complaint was about an acquisition. There, the complaint is they're trying to use their uh, uh, Explorer browser to prevent any new browsers from emerging because it's a threat to their monopoly. Here, the claim is that companies like Google or, or Facebook are buying up companies that otherwise would compete uh, and perhaps might use some of their assets to become major threats to the dominant platform. That is the theory in any event. Well, one thing we've seen here in Europe um, that's been difficult uh, when it comes to working out competition on dominance is definition of the market sector, because one of the counter arguments you will often hear from the platforms uh, in the digital space is that, well, actually, there are competitors. You can go shop elsewhere if you're Amazon or, you know, uh, Google will say, well, we're not a shopping platform. We are doing advertising. And I think, I mean, even to break it down to something like Uber, who say we're not a taxi service, we're a platform. Definitions of the market sector seem to be causing um well, causing customers confusion, but also causing the enforcement agencies confusion here. Are you seeing anything like that? Uh, I, I, I think that's right. In fact, the, the Facebook now made a case uh, brought by the Federal Trade Commission. At first, uh, the judge raised questions about market definition. The commission justified their social networking market because the judge said, in fact, what is a social networking market? I mean, you can... Uh, it, it it's not as clear as certainly the market for steel bars or the market for tires or or small automobiles. That's very tangible. But the idea was what if other platforms can offer services of various sorts, they may offer social, social services. Or, are you saying that those are all included in the market, even if they're not currently in the market? So it does create confusion. Now, I think some of the defenders of the platforms will also say, wait a second, where is the consumer welfare has been the central concern of certainly American antitrust and to some extent European antitrust for decades now? Where is the evidence that consumers are being harmed? They're being given new services. Think of Instagram and WhatsApp. Those were acquisitions by, by Facebook, which are being challenged by the Federal Trade Commission. And yet, the argument is, well, uh, the platform was able to bring these applications, uh, you know, photo sharing and messaging up to scale faster to benefit more consumers faster. And how do we know if left on their own that these companies would have uh, provided services nearly as good to consumers? And indeed, a second question is that if you start preventing platforms from acquiring sort of complementary assets like these as I see Instagram and WhatsApp, 
venture capitalists may stop investing in them. They say, you know, because some of these companies may be developed with a hope of being acquired someday. And if the enforcers are saying we're not going to allow such acquisitions, you may get fewer startups and less innovation from that side. So it's it's all a very, very complicated picture compared to traditional market analysis. The As I said, the, of course, the agencies will say, well, no, you have a network effects. This firm is dominant. If it keeps buying up these complementary assets and cyberspace used by its customers, it's going to continue to be dominant. And, and we don't like continued dominance. We, we want more competitors. Well, I want to talk about data um, with regards to mergers. And let me pick up then on, on a case you mentioned, one of those acquisitions of Facebook by WhatsApp. Now, here in the EU, certain conditions were put on the approval of that because there was concern that data merging of the consumers could hurt them, it could lead to profiling and so on. What's your take on that? What's your position? Well, the problem imposing conditions in traditional vertical mergers, you might say, well, you're buying a firm that provides inputs. It has dealt with your other suppliers and may know some of their trade secrets or special information. You shouldn't be able to disadvantage them after the merger by having that information. That That's a sort of an understandable concern. It, 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 it's less clear to me what the particular concerns you're looking at. A lot a lot now turns along on privacy issues. Of course, in Europe, you have a GDPR privacy law, and there's a great concern about what the platforms are going to do. How should platforms be allowed not just to use consumer information, but even if consumers give full consent on an opt-in basis, there's some who say, like Lena Khan, the head of the FTC, that maybe that's not enough. Maybe certain types of information should never be provided because the more information they get, the more they'll be able to control their market. And again, that is somehow bad. But again, there are two sides to the information issue because using this information may allow platform to provide new services that are attuned to the interest of particular consumers. So new benefits consumers may accept, but they don't necessarily know where the benefits came from. They just know there are new, more and more features on the platform. So by putting any limitations, including privacy-related or other limitations, on platforms are going to prevent them from providing new and better services. Well, I think um, you're, you're hitting at um, a point there that there is some there are some fundamental differences between the US and the EU in how we approach some of these things. In the EU, we of course now have the new Digital Services Act, the mm-hmm. Digital Markets Act, the, all of these other uh, sort of, if you like, tangential to competition law rules that we're seeing. How do you view them from from across the Atlantic? Do you think there are lessons to be learned from Europe? Do you think Europe is in the right direction on this? Or where do you see uh, it all fitting internationally? Well, certainly, for example, we mentioned Digital Services Act. There's also the Digital Markets Act, which is being implemented over the next couple of years, which uh, in in effect, uh, in many situations, will sort of mandate interoperability and sharing that, uh, you know, across platforms. Of course, some of those may be intentional, the privacy uh, goals of the GDPR. There's some who are, are, are those things intention. It's not clear to me. My, my concern is what Digital Markets Act, the idea is creating all this interoperability. You're going to have more platforms. You're going to make Europe the digital leader by 2030 is a theory. But then there are people, critics like, oh, yeah, Paul Trevez of the 
information technology and innovation foundation says, look, this is a form of precautionary antitrust. It's an effect that prevent lots of acquisitions. And if you really want the best platforms, Europe has up to now has not provided leading platforms. In general, most of those have come from the U.S. And one of the reasons is there's been what one author, Adam Thier, my former colleague, my current colleague at Mercatus Center calls permissionless innovation. It's easier really to establish platforms in the U.S. And it may be a great idea to say, well, you want interoperability, but they're major costs. But platform, in effect, is required to interoperate. It's going to have to re-engineer its uh, systems. It's going to have to play, change the nature of its algorithms. And again, it seems all, it may seem nice on one level. Well, we're going to have more competitors, but are you really, and are those competitors going to be providing something that consumers want? If they don't, uh, those sorts of costs are, are probably not worthwhile. U.S. is looking at some proposals like that, some antitrust legislation that's hasn't gone to the floor of the Senate yet. There's some dealing with app stores, others dealing with acquisitions by dominant platforms, interoperability. So I think certainly the leadership in the U.S. antitrust agencies more than ever before is very, uh, and has said so publicly, is attracted to the ideas underlying the, the Digital Markets Act. I would wait. I'd say, wait, let's wait to see how, what the effects of the Digital Markets Act are. If, if they're creating new and successful platforms and all sorts of innovations, great. But if they're not, then you know it's not a smart idea to pass legislation. So I'd be, I would be cautious. I'd say there is, and this is underreported, but for instance, Professor Brynjolfsson, formerly of MIT, now at Stanford, wrote an article in, in the December 2019 Harvard Business Review about the benefits not counted in GDP statistics given to consumers by platform platforms. He did some sort of ex- experimental economics and suggested that, you know, on an annual basis, hundreds of billions of dollars or say euros in benefits are being pay, uh, showered upon consumers, which are not actually reflected in the profits. That's above and beyond the profits and the advertising revenue and so on that the platforms earn. So I would be very cautious before legislating in the U.S. Well, that's a a clear note there. As we often see, uh, it's uh, legislate at your pleasure and then mitigate at your peril. And we we find that many of the laws that have been passed end up being tested through the courts and and some of them don't stand up. With that in mind, you know, that's a frustrating way for businesses to have to deal with uh, new laws and new uh, antitrust or consumer or competition or indeed even privacy regulation. Do you see any cases coming up that you think we should look out for? Is there any litmus test that you see in the coming years or months that might be a, a good sort of weather vane for the direction of travel? Well, in, in the United, I'll mention the United States because I always follow it more uh, closely. You know, uh, the FTC filed a complaint against uh, Within United, which is a maker of a virtual reality exercising apps. And what's interesting is this maker of apps. It was reported in trade press, and I don't know one or the other that the staff opposed the challenge, but that the commissioners overrode it. We'll see. But basically, it's Meta, formerly Facebook, does not produce, is not currently a market of making these apps. And the complaint was, well, they were likely to enter, and therefore entry was squelched by this acquisition. 
And what some critics have said, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal recently, Lena Khan's Merger Metaverse, that said, you know, wait, wait a second. This is, in effect, based presumably on a nascent competition theory. This producer of, of apps maybe will allow, presumably, I think the big theory is that, again, to allow Meta to entrench its, its market power by becoming dominant in one more complementary area. But again, where is there evidence of consumer harm? Where, where is there evidence that there were other platforms and other could not have entered, not very difficult to enter? So I think it'll be interesting to see how do the courts, American courts, struggle with the idea, as you mentioned earlier on, what is the market? Have you defined a market? Is it too narrow market? Is this talking about the market, for example, for physical fitness or training exercise apps? It seems very narrow because in akin to electronic games or or provisions that could be provided by all sorts of people, all sorts of software developers. I think in Europe, all I can say, you know, again, I'm not a European lawyer, although I'm, I try to study what goes on there. But for instance, in the recent Intel and Qualcomm cases, the European General Court has, I think, suggested that the European Commission needs to have evidentiary basis and needs to be careful, you know, in bringing in in bringing competition cases if they and and needs as a due process matter to fully apprise companies of any changes in their theory of the case. So, to me, what that illustrates is that even in Europe, you know, the the general courts are going to be general court and maybe court of justice are going to be a, a possible constraint on the European Commission, just as in the U.S., for all these new cases being brought that seem interesting, that are non-traditional, U.S. courts, Supreme Court still says, until it changes, a consumer welfare standard is the American antitrust standard. Chair Khan has talked about harm to new competitors, harm to labor, the anti-discrimination harms, income redistribution, all maybe fine things, but traditionally, certainly American antitrust has not spent much time looking at those issues. So I think it'll be very interesting to see if the courts are willing to to go beyond a consumer welfare standard in the U.S. And if they're not, I would not, I'd say that probabilities of success of some of these new cases in the U.S. may not be terribly high. Well, I think that's a, that's a really good uh, place to sort of ask you to sum up, if you like, for our audience as a final question. What do you expect going forward? We've talked about what the courts may or may not do. How will that trickle down in practice to maybe how mergers take place? Will there be more caution, do you think? Or, or will will, they, will the, the C-suite be looking at mergers in a different way? And ultimately, how will that impact consumers or or will it at all? Well, I suspect in the near term, there will be a more caution by businesses because it's it's clear that the FTC is looking at a wide rider, not giving routine clearances of the sorts of mergers it would have routinely cleared in the past where there was a lot of direct competition or serious vertical theories. Uh, there are going to be new merger guidelines, it seems, in the next few months. And if the I would not be surprised to see the guidelines raise concerns about acquisitions by platforms. So I, I think up there will be a lot of caution in deal making, certainly by the big platforms. May not affect other sorts of deals, but until court decisions start being handed down, going one way or another, that I think it might slow the incentives of the big platforms to make some of these complementary acquisitions. I don't know to what effect it will trickle down on 
venture capital investing in sort of these new purveyors of new services, but that's possible as well. So I think that's going to be in the short run, uh, long run, uh, we can't tell. John Maynard Keynes famously said that everyone was dead in the long run, but in all seriousness, I think it's a period of caution. And if you're advising large platforms, you're going to advise them about these new theories and concerns about buying complementary assets and then maybe be careful because even if the agencies don't ultimately win, there's litigation, there are public filings before the securities agencies, and those are real costs on business. And to the extent it slows down innovation in platforms, there'll be costs on consumers as well, in my opinion. Well, I think predicting the long run is difficult. And of course, the long run in digital is not the same as the long run in other industries. It's uh, You talked earlier about being worried about Microsoft Explorer dominance. And we look around now and we see, yes, that's a, that's a very different view that we have today than we perhaps had then. Thank you very much, Alden, for sharing your great insight and experience with us. Thank you to you, the audience, for joining us. But do stay tuned. Keep an eye out for more Concurrence, your antitrust podcast. You listened to an episode of Antitrust Code by Concurrence. If you want to read more about this topic, check the Concurrence website where you can find all relevant articles. Follow us on Twitter at Competition Laws and join the Concurrence group on LinkedIn to receive updates on our next podcast.